Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. So welcome to our fourth and final 12 HR professionals or people professionals of Christmas episode. And actually this one is focused on learning and talent professionals. I think I've got an amazing lineup, if I do say so myself, that's been a a fabulous episode to record. And the people that we're going to get a chance to listen to here are Michelle Parry Slater, who actually at the time of um, recording had just announced her new role in the CIPD. Uh, She, as many of you will know her for her hashtag no plasters, um, approach to learning and development, which was all over Twitter a couple of years ago. She's a really... Uh, uniquely dedicated and knowledgeable learning and development professional and I thought you know I'm lucky enough she lives in the same village as me so I was able to nobble her for a face-to-face chat but I thought it was absolutely great quality and I'm sure you'll enjoy that so that's our first one the second one is also someone quite local to us that I've met relatively recently someone called Tom Robinson who's also a talent professional and it was just fab to catch up with Tom in terms of uh, understanding his look at OD, he's a real organisational development expert. And uh, again, I'm sure you'll get lots from that. And then finally, we go over the pond to someone who actually, a guy called Andy Storch, who I came across through the podcast world. He runs a number of uh, talent podcasts. And I thought it was great to get a US feel to things. So he brings another unique angle and insight into what we can do as people professionals, both HR and learning and development. So I hope you enjoy our final three HR uprising conversations. So my next guest on the 12 HRs of Christmas is actually an L&D of Christmas and I'm very excited to be in the famous Shed Quarters with Michelle Parry Slater. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for coming to Shed Quarters. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Very pleased to be Thank here. Thank you for letting me be an imposter on HR Rising as uh-huh. an l But, you know, it's all people professionals. It is. Pe- people professionals is what it should be called, shouldn't it? But I just quite like the ring of HRs of Christmas. But anyway, marketing won't let me put Santa hats on everybody, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, as you know, we've got five questions and I really wanted to get a bit of a feel for you. So lots of people have seen your profile out and about. But do you want to just give us a potted history of your career background? So I left university and went and lived in Japan for a couple of years. I was teaching English and really enjoyed that experience. Totally uh, different than living in England, um, but came back to England because my then boyfriend, now husband, is actually a history teacher and he loved teaching English but wanted to teach history. So we moved back, got married and I went to Global Mobility. Never even heard of it, didn't know what it was, um, but it was essentially moving people from one country to another. And because I'd done that myself, I thought I've got some 
something to bring to that story. Um, and in the mobility space, because I'd always been uh, had that teaching background, anyone new that came in, they said, sit with Michelle, she'll teach you what to do. So I actually fell into L&D. Um, eventually that kind of teaching new people what to do became a proper um, trainer job as it was back then. And then I became a global, uh, sorry, a, a European and then global. And that was my life within the mobility sector. Uh, about six years ago, I left the sector and set up, um, not quite in shed quarters back then, but set up Kairos Modern Learning. And the reason for that was um, I'd taken the, the role that I had um, in my previous company, Santa Fe Group, into a digital learning space, really enjoyed it, really saw the benefits and wanted to share that moving to social and digital learning with other organisations. So here I am in Kairos Modern Learning, the home of, uh, of Kairos's, like you say, shed quarters in Hertfordshire, um, just down the road from your own company, which is great. Um, and uh, new beginnings will be happening in the new year, but perhaps we'll talk about that a bit later on. Yeah, tell us about that, definitely. So, uh, yeah, so forefront of digital learning so possibly a bit ahead of your time I guess there. back then um, I, we were the first global company for uh, Fuse Universal um, and they hadn't kind of had a global uh, uh, player at, at that stage and they were literally the only provider on the market um, so we were looking 2012 2013 um, to do that sort of work but now of course there's loads of, of competition for them which is good because the market's got more buoyant um, you know, next generation learning management systems or learning uh, experience systems, or they're all called all different things, are hugely valuable. And um, they really take learning away from just offering compliance yeah. um, to helping people connect with each other. You've got peer support, you've got answers to questions, you've got curated content, different types of content. So, yeah, that's the kind of space that I play in with my clients and love it. Be creative, absolutely. So, along the way, if you're going to share for this audience any challenges that you've learned from that would be good good to explore so the challenges particularly are around good communication if you can't explain what you do then people won't be able to understand that and if we as L&D um, as people professionals can't explain the value that we bring then you know how are we expecting an operation manager to even care about learning in the workplace so for me, I landed on three values when I set up Kairos Modern Learning, and they are transparency, challenge, and excellence. And the reason I landed on those is transparency is really all around um, stop that kind of secret squirrel, stop sort of you know creating um, an online learning space which isn't effective just because it's compliant. Stop creating a face-to-face -face learning space, which actually is a networking space. Just call things what they are. Yeah. People respond and respect that. Um, transparency is really important to me. You'll always get an honest answer. It feeds into my value around challenge, which is actually call it out. You know, some of the things we've done in learning development have been trash and we need to call them out. Click next quiz at the end e-learning. Who needs that in their life? Nobody needs that in their <laughs> life. So stop doing it. Um, you know, let's actually answer business problems and and challenge the, the status quo of what we're doing in L&D to answer those business problems in a way that's appropriate to the business. That, of course, leads us into excellence. If we are uh, valuing excellence in our work, which I think we always ought to be in L&D, then the challenges um, uh, that we're answering and the honest conversations that we're having through our transparent approach mean that we will hit excellence. We will be of more value. Now, this is somebody who's been made redundant twice from, from uh, trainer jobs as they were back then, because if you are a nice to have, you'll never be valued in your organization. And learning shouldn't be a nice to have. It fundamentally is, yeah. is part of 
of employing people. If you're employing people, you should develop them, you should invest in them, and that should be part of everyday operations, but it needs to be excellent. Love it, having the values coming through in terms of the challenges and one of them being challenged. Mm. So actually using that as, as, as one of your values to, to lead to excellence. And I suppose then with that in mind, have you, do you, if you were to think back on yourself, back to your Japan days or your early career, is there anything you'd change or would you give yourself any advice? Um, you said you were redundant twice, whether or not that made any difference to you. What, would you do anything differently? It's always confidence, isn't it? Giving your younger self confidence. Um, in my Japan interview, I actually drew on the whiteboard with a permanent marker pen. Um, at the time, <laughs> I was just mortified, you know, mortified. But actually, it you know, is that your advice? Don't write on the don't write on the, yeah, don't, don't use a permanent marker on a, on a whiteboard. I was doing a family tree and I drew a beautiful tree and it was only when I went to rub it off I realised, oh my goodness. So that is good advice. You check that you're using whiteboard marker. But um, it's the confidence building, you know, something like that built a lot yeah. of confidence in me. Going to live in another country built a lot of confidence in me. And yet I think the advice I would give is pretend that you're over 40 because it wasn't really until I was over 40 that I thought, you know what? Everyone's winging it. We're all imposters. We're all one chapter ahead in the book. Nobody really knows what they're doing. But when you're 25 and you look at somebody who's 45, you think, wow, they know everything. No, they don't. Mm. No, they don't. And neither do you. So go for it. Be confident in what you've got to offer. Because, you know, working with Girl Guiding and working with, uh, you know, young people in our village, they've got so much to offer. They've got fantastic ideas. And they need to know that those ideas are valued and can be shared. So I would say advice to, to myself as a younger person, is just own it. Love it. Because so, in, in terms of the girl guiding and the people, the young people you're working, do you think they haven't got the confidence? Definitely of, not. Yeah. The self-limiting beliefs in a ten-year-old girl is shocking. You know, we re we did a badge of all around um, uh, future work and top jobs. It was called, and um, you know, there, there was ten-year-olds saying, "Well, I'd really like to be a insert name here." Um, but I can't. That's, you know, that's a, not really a job for, for girls. I was mortified. Really? So I, I brought in a good friend of ours, Michelle Wellsbury, yeah. and uh, she's a top engineer, yeah. one of the best engineers in the country. And she spoke to the girls about, you know, just really simply, how do you make orange juice? And we're like, this sounds really crazy. This isn't engineering, but it was in a way that they could really relate. So I guess that's also advice to younger people it is, is try and gather info, try and have conversations that you understand. And if you don't, ask questions mm -hmm. because society will limit you but just break through them they're, they're limits because somebody somewhere decided or someone yeah, put that, yeah. imposed or we we feel it but conditioning break out of it yeah. yeah break out of it so I was really pleased that the particular girl who said I'd really like to work in food but you know I'm not really going to be a chef she now is at college doing food and I'm just like good on you Fantastic. you know food science and she's really got into that engineering thing Michelle really influenced her so that's well, great it's making a difference that's great and I suppose on that then in terms of your have you got any next moves for your own beliefs in terms of your future so my next future plans really are that um, I've taken a job with CIPD so um, it's quite this is hot news actually yeah, it is hot by news. the time this goes out you'll just be starting just I think. be starting uh, by the time it goes out live and uh, hopefully everyone will know but uh, I think it's worth just exploring why that's happened because um, six years ago if you'd have said CIPD to me I'd have been pfft, get out of town they don't represent us you know they're all about the HR and here we are a HR professional a LMD professional yeah. having a conversation <laughs> how wonderful our times have changed but certainly under Andy Lancaster um, I think he has really shown that listening works really well 
that understanding the profession and asking a lot of questions works really well and I really feel that he's representing our community now and um, the work that they're trying to achieve at CIPD is really aligned to what I'm trying to achieve um, with Kairos Modern Learning so it feels like a natural fit for me a natural step at the moment in Kairos I play with uh, smaller organisations generally and to be able to go to CIPD and bring um, my views and thoughts and, and experiences around how to move away from just offering face-to-face -face and blending that through into social and digital learning the right solution for the right uh, business problem um, but in a in all, bigger players bigger organizations I'm really excited about the opportunities so 2020 uh, yeah new job uh, new lifestyle new everything it's it's very exciting That's exciting are you going to be able to keep any of the other things going absolutely yeah so it was one of uh, the important things for me that when we struck up a deal um, with with CIPD and really supported by Andy Lancaster and his boss Jenny Gowans that um, all of the stuff I do which is quite a lot for free um, will remain so we'll still be involved with Learning Now TV I'll still be involved with um, L&D co-work that I set up in 2015 with Fiona McBride that will still carry on up and down the country with our volunteer hosts and I'll still have my role um, as volunteer or lead volunteer for learning and development at Girl Guiding and um, we're going through digital transformation at Girl Guiding so it's a crucial time um, for us there so all of that freebie stuff and there's, there's other bits and pieces that I do you know judging on awards and things like that that's all going to stay you know it's just me in a different in a different place so switching my green for purple I guess is the good choice of colour there <laughs> my favourite colour that's uh, that sounds really really exciting and getting stuff they're lucky to have you in the difference that you're going to be able to bring there so you're going to have quite a bit on your plate aren't you in terms of keeping you busy and also I think at some point in 2020 you're well I was I was really lucky to get you on here actually so thank you for coming on the podcast because I've been waiting because I know you'll have a book coming out later in 2020 mm -hmm. so perhaps you'll come on for a full length episode I'd when that happens. I'd love to, love to promote the book when get it actually lands. So yes yeah, so, so you'll also be writing a book as well I imagine when you're yes, there. Yes so, so um, that has been uh, a lot of my 2019 um, thinking about the book, writing the book because I really want to share what we started in 2015 with the No Plasters tweets on Twitter um, which was really practical advice and help. I really want to just pull that together and help people to um, understand how they can move into this space because it feels difficult for people if they've been in transactional learning and development for a long time selling courses and then suddenly um, you know they're hearing in the, on the grapevine or in the training journal magazine or at conferences that we need to do things differently how do you do that yeah. and so that's the place that I always like to support people is the how the practical stuff so yeah some point in 2020 the book will land full of top tips on how to move away from uh, doing what you've done for forever and ever and, and getting into a modern learning space. I love it. Pragmatism, I, I really think you've got to make things as practical as possible. I was, that's something I feel strongly about, so that would be really, really valuable. And then final question, um, in terms of we were talking about whether it's a superpower, if you make, wave a magic wand, what would it be for either yourself or for the overall people profession so I guess my own personal superpower probably does land with that practical stuff. I have this way of sort of taking strategy and making it happen on a tactical, practical basis um, because it's no good just talking about, you know, do that. Yeah. It's got to be, how do we do that in our context, at our pace for our organisation? Um, so that's a superpower that I guess I bring to the profession. I'd like to think I do. Oh, Certainly I've help been, other people have I, that. I, yeah, you know, I've been, I've been told that that's where, where I lie. But I think for the profession, the superpower we all need to get a little bit more uh, 
sort of uh, on board with is is just stop chasing the shiny stuff stop chasing after the gimmicks and the reason I say that when I think about the practical is because there's that feeling of I'm never good enough I'm not quite doing it right other people are doing it better than us if you're doing what you need for your organization at the time um, and the context that is right then that's the right thing and and we worry about you know I don't have the latest LMS or I don't have the latest next generation learning platform that includes social you mm. know if that's not right for you mm. then then that's where it should land you know when I think about girl guiding um, you know in the time that I've been lead volunteer all we've landed at the moment is webinar we've introduced webinar um, we already had e-learning we've made that better and we've got loads of fantastic uh, 638 fantastic trainers who are doing face-to-face but we are a massive organization half a million girls you know 109,000 volunteers we're not going to switch on a new shiny thing overnight it's got to be right for the organization and so if in my corporate life all I'd landed in two and a half years was webinar I'd probably be sacked yeah so you've got to go at the pace yeah. of the organization but that's the right thing for girl guiding exactly yeah. totally the right thing so I, I feel as a superpower we need to get better more discerning yeah. around understanding our own organization and and what our own organization needs and if you link it to business need if you go and have good operational consultative conversations with with uh, you know fellows in your organization then you'll land it where you need to land it yeah. so and see through the shine because sometimes yeah. that sometimes it is just marketing as well so freight so all of it shiny and you know the good salesperson exactly yeah unfortunately great well michelle been brilliant to have you on thanks so much and i look forward to talking to you again later in the year well hopefully i'll see you again since we live in the same village but, <laughs> <laughs> but more formally on the hr i'm sure there'll be you know some sort of uh, christmas carols christmas or something carols like. uh, yeah absolutely Enjoy thank you so much lucinda thanks coming on This is our final 12 in 12 HR professionals conversations. Um, But you could argue, are we saving the best till last? Because this particular episode is going to be HR learning and development talent focused and as you know that's something that I'm particularly passionate about so I was really pleased when Tom Robinson was back home from his jet setting and agreed to come on to the show so Tom Robinson from Talent Tomorrow welcome to the HR Uprising. My absolute pleasure. So Tom as you know we are running through relatively briefly I know we could talk for way longer but I've got a few questions I wanted to to ask you but just to kick us off would you be kind enough to give me a bit of a potted history about where you've come from and, and what it is you do? Sure absolutely well I suppose um, the sensible place to start is, is what is it right now um, so majority is now organized or classic organizational development um, learning cultural change usually involving anything involving uh, behavioral uh, transformation in organizations and so to wind back the clock I started in a, at L&D it's um it's kind of my my passion my first love if you will and the thing that kind of really um opened my eyes to the world of kind of transformation in, in, in organizations um so I spent uh something like 15 years in in-house uh, worked my way through the ranks, um, particularly I spent uh, nearly 10 years in, in an outsourced hospitality business. So I started up as, as learning and development manager um, at the age of something like 23. Uh, and then uh, kind of worked my way up and kind of accumulated more and more responsibilities as you do Indeed. Uh, in very, very fast, high growth organization as it was. 
Um, did you go, go straight into L and D, Tom? Did you just go straight into it, or did no? You just I, if, if I wind back the clock even further, one of my first jobs when I was eighteen, as I worked for for Lloyd's Bank in a call centre, and, um, and very quickly from there, I started doing just kind of low level inductions and customer service training when I was like eighteen or nineteen, and then after a bit of a career break of living in, in the Alps for a while, I, I, I thought, well, what can I do? What can I do? What what do I love doing? And having sold sports cars for a while and, and done a few other random things, I thought, well, what do I what do I love doing? Well, I love being creative. I love being with people. I love, you know, um, you know the, the 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 generosity of the learning development industry. So I thought, you know, moving to London, I'll go back into that again. And um, you know, I saw that you know very very fast growth of of the companies I was in. I'm going from there being. Uh, I think four of us at the beginning to over a thousand people in uh, seven years. Um, so as the company grew, I looked after more and more stuff. So gradually, um, talent, succession planning, engagement, aspects of reward, attraction, recruitment, onboarding, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I kind of looked back after a while and, and sort of went, well, this is OD. I you know, all these people have been talking about organisational development. I didn't realise I've been doing it for all this time. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because um, it's so it's, it's like a mysterious term, but actually, lots of people are doing OD um, in these sort of roles. Don't we? Um, it, it just feels a little bit, yeah. You know, people just don't recognise it. Yeah, and every person I've spoken to who who will call themselves an OD person does a different aspect of it, and every person I've known defines it differently. Um, yeah, so. I sort of found myself doing it and then you know I'm, I'm not not budging now absolutely <laughs> and so along the way obviously you'll have come across some challenges overcome challenges any ones that stick in your mind that would be useful to share with this audience yeah I suppose um I suppose because the majority of my work is in is in behavioral um issues so sometimes you know clients will come and say you know we've got this issue around our you know, internal communication or engagement or leadership or customer service or there's collaborations not working as well as it could or you know, anything like that. The job is actually, um, part of the challenge is actually to diagnose exactly what they mean by that. Uh, and often the presented uh, symptom is not necessarily the actual cause. Yeah. So in the same way as if you go to a, a doctor and you say, look, doctor, I've got a headache. Yeah, a poor doctor will just go straight to the solution. They'll say, well, here's some paracetamol, go away and tell me how you feel. But it could be caused by a range of different stuff. You know, you might have a brain tumour, you might just be not drinking enough water, you know, you might have something more serious. Um, so I think a good professional, and the thing I've really learned over the years is actually to diagnose the issue properly. Because the prevent, presented symptom of, say, low engagement or poor customer service or leadership is bad or communication is poor, there are these sort of generic blanket catch-all terms. But when you dive deeper into it and you actually start to speak to people in the organisation and the, you know, the leaders and sometimes the person's commissioned the work is, is not necessarily the person that understands the issues as well as they could do. Um, and when you kind of dig in, it actually sometimes that's not the problem. And actually, it's caused by something else, and it's sometimes really easy to fix. So, I suppose that's that's part of the challenges is is firstly gathering behavioural data and finding out and understanding where the behavioural issues are, um, because it's very difficult to quantify something very intangible as human behaviour. Definitely. Um, and the second part is actually saying no, saying no to clients, and actually saying, you know, the thing that you want me to do here is probably not the thing that's going to be the most effective. 
So those are both challenging, actually, because people think they want you to come and do a quick fix, but actually you need to you know, do that diagnostic to, to know exactly what the cause of the problem is. I think Rob Brina would be very um, happy with this, this statement, you know, understanding the problem um, that's, that's there before you start trying to solve it. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think there's a lot of false data out there. I mean, a particular pet hate of mine is, um, I don't know, I should say it, Oh, yeah, all right. I will say it. Um, the um, Gallup survey data, you know, the, yeah. the state of the workplace report, which a lot of OD people and ND people are quoting it. I think it is not rigorous enough in its assessment of human data. It measures inputs rather than outputs. And I think humans are way more complicated than a simple 13% of people are engaged globally. I don't think that's right. And yeah. I think uh when assessing organizational behavior and organizational culture it's more nuanced and highly complex so it, you know it's not as not as black and white as that yes it's a, sort of assumed correlations isn't it but it just goes to show that that um you know we're very susceptible to marketing and, and budgets with things like that i mean i remember gallup 12 q12 being quite influential in the workplace i was in about 20 years ago because they because their marketing said there was a direct correlation with people stuff and business results which um everyone that's that's like the holy grail and the reality is it, as you say it really isn't that simple is it yeah exactly and uh you know for me that's um there are a lot of passing fads but the work for us od lnd call us what you will professionals is all about creating a fantastic place to work where people just do their best work that it's frictionless, that they come home at the end of the day and they feel like they've done a good job and they're, they're performing at their best. And if you think about it, 72% of your waking life you spend in a work-related activity. So I think institutions and organisations have a, not just a financial responsibility, but a moral responsibility to create a great place to work. Yeah, right, so that's great. So um, in terms of that, I, I like those. Thank you very much for sharing that, Tom. The um, If you were... I'm not saying so much having regrets, but if you were to look back on your career and give advice to your younger self along these lines, you know, were there any fads that you fell for or would there be any sort of suggestions or watch outs that you would um, say to your younger self if you were doing things again? Well, I think, firstly, I think I've played plenty of regrets. <laughs> yeah, I've got plenty of those. I've made so many mistakes over the years, which actually, if I think about, was probably the biggest learnings. I mean, if you, if you all think back to you know, the biggest mistake you ever made is probably the biggest learning point as well. So yeah. that's maybe one of the <clears throat> the things I would tell my younger self is don't be afraid to to get stuck in and fail. Um, I think, you know, being 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 younger and having a lot of responsibility on my shoulders back then, um, I was maybe a bit too cautious. And the other thing I would probably say to myself as well is try not to, to take it all on. Yes. Um, I think I probably I think I probably took on too much because um, as soon as you start digging and you find you know behavioural issues or you want this project or or if only we could do this or a quick win over here would be to do that. Eventually, I'm making little impact in lots of areas. You're spreading yourself too thin. Yeah. Yeah, I always did that. I remember an old HR director early on in my career going, "Baby steps, Tom. Baby steps." Because <laughs> I think I want to take on the world and. Yeah. You know, part of me that's still that's still there, that still burns bright. Um, but I think I have to you now carefully choose the intervention, make impact from that intervention, make sure it's you know quantified, make sure it's um, um, 
uh, what's the word I'm evidenced is the word I'm looking for, and then move on to the next thing, iterate, grow it. And that's not to say that you shouldn't um, test, move fast, um, get projects on the go and see how they go. I think I just maybe just took on too much. And also it's that stopping to take stock and reflect because often you want to go on to the next project and you perhaps haven't worked out whether that the one you've just done was successful or measured the impact or could be improved, do you? So it's quite, depending on we all have preferences, often it's not so exciting to stop and reflect to be able to do that. The other part as well is um, I think I took on too much personally. I think the thing I've learned from the OD profession and, and a lot of my peers as well is actually OD is the catalyst in the business. And I always thought of myself as sort of separate to the, to the sort of business as usual um, type operation. And uh, or if it's talent, it comes under me. Or if it's recruitment, it comes under me. If it's uh, engagement, it comes under me. And actually, I should have been done doing the opposite. I should have been engaging leaders to make sure they were doing those things, to make sure they were recruiting properly and engaging their teams properly and having the right conversations and, and you know, engendering learning and development and they're, they're part of the business. Rather than taking it off them, I should have been helping them to do it better. And that's something I've learned yeah, know, pretty pretty early on in my career, but uh, it's definitely helped. I like that because I mean I like that concept of being a catalyst. You're right because of course when particularly now in consultancy, when you leave the business, you actually want to leave them in a better place that's sustainable, don't you? Whereas if if the dependence is on you, so hence if you're a catalyst, you get them to take on those skills and that drive, then you, you're achieving a better longer term outcome, aren't you? So that's it. And, and the irony of that is that we're essentially doing ourselves out of work. Yes. And my utopia is that OD people and OD people don't exist. Oh, yeah. But yeah, are not needed. Out of the business to make sure the business themselves, we're, we're being the catalyst so much that we're less needed. Yeah. And the thing is, change is going to be here for a long time, isn't it? So I dare say there's always going to be new things for, for foreseeable. But I get your point in terms of that. It shouldn't be something that we have to come in and, and be relied on. So your next steps for you in terms of your business and where you're going or what you're getting involved in, any anything on the horizon for you that's of interest to share? Well, I've just um, finished a, a large, large project, large global rollout um, for, a, a, let's say, a major high street bank. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to, to uh, say the name, um, but uh, that project's now coming to an end. Um, eventually, you've got a little bit more work in Mexico just to get that uh, ticked off. Um, get, your, get your tan polished up, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. For mojitos in Mexico City, I think that's the Sounds end. great. And um, yeah, so uh, at the moment, I think, especially being coming to the end of the year, it's more uh, consultancy. So there's little bits and pieces with a few ongoing clients of mine, um, a bit of L&D work, some low level transformation work, some leadership uh, related stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's going to tick, tick over until until probably into the new year and then keep on looking and keep on keep on having conversations with people. Fantastic. So more exciting stuff to be done in 2020. So um, our final question is, you know, you, you work with lots of HR professionals, you're in an OD, you've been in L&D. If you were to think about the profession as um, a pink superhero and requiring a superpower, what would it be that you choose? Well, um, having racked my brains about this, I think something that would be really valuable, and there'd probably be a few HR people nodding to this as well, is an honesty pill. So if, you know, in my, uh, in my presence, people were, you know, just, just couldn't help but tell the truth. And I think that would just break down so many barriers and would enable me to just kind of get to the heart of the issues. And when facilitating, 
it would just mean that we get directly to the, the crux of the issue quicker. Yeah. That would be so useful. And what that would also do, I think, maybe as a byproduct, is especially in, in leaders uh, who, uh, let's say, are resistant to change, it would get rid of that ego factor because they just literally say what well, they were struggling with, what they thought about things. You know, they could just, it would be an unfiltered um, dialogue. And I think that'd be fantastic. Save you so much time as well, wouldn't it? It's cutting to the chase. Love it. Tom Robinson, thank you so much for being on our 12 in 12 HR Uprising series. Much appreciate it and, and best, all the best for next year. Thanks a lot. Okay. Okay, so for our final of our 12 people professionals of Christmas, I am really excited to have someone join me from overseas on the other side of the pond, as I say, and I've got Andy Storch joining me. Welcome, Andy. Thank you so much for having me, Lucinda. So Andy is a talent development consultant. He's a speaker. He's uh, really uh, a a podcast, got numerous talent podcasts out there, which I encourage you to check out and we'll put them on the links um, on the show notes. He's also hosting a talent development think tank conference in January. So again, any of our listeners over in the States, check that out. The links will be on the show notes. So Andy, brilliant to have you on the HR Uprising. As I said before, thank you so much for joining us. And our first question, as you know, is just give us a bit about your background. I know I had to translate this. This is Potter's career history. We had to translate it into American. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. You know, we, a bit about your background. Some of our language is the same, but <laughs> I get, you know, some of these lingo, UK, English, British lingo. And I was like, what is that potted career background? But uh, yeah, you said succinct short so i guess we should uh, we should get into it so thank <laughs> you so much it. for having me on by the way this is uh you know really a privilege and honor and i'm uh, i'm excited to be the last of the uh the guests for but Christmas. not least yes yes but not the least i hope right so um i have a an interesting background i've done a lot of different things but you know the highlights are um, i tried some things in entrepreneurship early in my career uh, i got into the corporate world in insurance specifically working for a workers comp insurance company and then uh, for one of the large uh, property and casualty insurance companies here in the U.S. Uh, in product management uh, before I got my MBA and got into consulting. And I went to work for a, a really fantastic Swedish consulting company called BTS, uh, which is really focused on strategy execution, a lot of business simulations, um, experiential learning workshops. And that's where I really got into this world of learning and development and really the power of experiential learning and helping people change behaviors to get better at their jobs. Um, And I worked there for seven years. uh, And about two years ago, uh, back in 2017, I left to go out on my own as an independent consultant with uh, a sister company called Advantage Performance Group. And uh, now, as you said, you know, talent development consultants, I work with companies that really specialize in connecting them with exceptional learning and development programs that help them turn strategy into action and get their people doing the best work of their lives. So um, I sell and run training and development programs. I facilitate a lot of workshops on leadership development, business simulations. Uh, And I also host two podcasts. One is called the Talent Development Hot Seat, which is all about corporate talent development. And the other one is called the Andy Stort Show, which is kind of my fun hobby that's all about personal development, um, interviewing whoever interesting people and talking about things going on in my life. And then as you mentioned, finally, I'm also hosting uh, my first conference on talent development called the Talent Development Think Tank, uh, which is coming up on January 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. 
And uh, we have well over 100 uh, learning and development professionals coming, mostly from the U.S., some from Canada, and even one coming from the U.K. So uh, it's, uh, we're really excited about it. And um, I love getting people together to help them connect, learn, and grow. And that's what it's going to be all about. You never know. Maybe off the back of this podcast, it's going to go out late December. So they'd have to book a ticket pretty, pretty quickly. You maybe get some more from the U.K. It would be great. So that's, um, I love the fact that you've got that kind of entrepreneurship um, business piece and the L&D bit, which I kind of identify with personally as well. And I like, I've always thought that learning and development to a certain extent is almost like a sort of salesy role because you've got to sell the ideas of, you know, learning with people as well. Um, so I can kind of see there's an affinity there that we share. I, in terms of any challenges to this audience, which is HR and it's learning and development and it's talent and OD, people, professionals generally, any particular challenges that you'd, you'd share that would be useful for this audience to, to learn from? Well, I'll share a couple of things. One that's personal that I think relates to people in HR, and then we can talk maybe more um, you know, broadly about the challenges out there in HR and talent development. So personally, my challenge of getting into this was I came from a strong business background. Um, I decided to jump into this world of talent development, but I haven't personally worked in a talent development role in big companies. So how do I relate and really understand people that are going through this? Because not only am I selling to them, I'm working with them. Um, you know, I'm also providing content and value through the podcast and eventually the conference. Uh, so that's the, that was the big challenge in the beginning. I didn't think I can't really relate. I don't know if anybody will want to listen to me. Um, but the way I overcame that uh, was by using something that comes very natural to me and is also, I think, one of the top pieces of advice, best practices for anybody in HR talent development, which is being very curious. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast was to network and learn about what's going on, best practices in talent development. And I started interviewing, you know, heads of learning and development, uh, chief learning officers, heads of talent from all kinds of big companies, mostly around the US, but or even globally. And I've learned so much about what people are dealing with, what they're doing to overcome challenges, um, what they're doing to succeed, what's going on in talent development, what are the latest trends, what are people thinking about. And, you know, one day wake up a year and a half later and a lot of people look to me as an expert and I don't necessarily think of myself that way, but how do you become really knowledgeable and good at something? It's from being curious, I think, and going out and learning as much as you can, whether that's reading books, research, listening to great podcasts like yours um, or interviewing people. And so that's helped me a lot. And I think one of the biggest challenges, I'll tie this to for people listening who are in HR, I think one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest things that are going to hold you back in the future is not having a good understanding of the business. I think a lot of people in HR, they know people. Um, they probably have a background in psychology. You're really passionate about people and developing people and helping them. Um, but if you don't have knowledge of the business, you're always going to be thought of as a cost center or you know, just that HR person versus a true partner to the business, a true HR business partner. And so I think the biggest challenge is not having that knowledge of the business. And the way you overcome that is simply doing the same thing I did, which is being very curious, talking to those executives, those business leaders, having those conversations, reading the financial reports, digging in. Um, one HR leader who was really good at this told me that she actually set up a mentorship with the CFO or a senior executive in finance, and they would meet regularly and go through the financials to truly understand what's going on in the business and be able to speak their language and come and say, hey, I think we should invest in you know, this HR software or this talent development program, and I think it's going to help us with our goal of uh, reducing costs and improving our gross margins or improving our revenue, something that's important to your CEO and CFO. And when you can speak that language, 
uh, it's going to make you so much more valuable to the business. So I think for HR professionals, that's the biggest challenge. That's the way to overcome it. And then broadly in talent development, I think the biggest challenge out there is uh, that I hear the most about is uh, just people being promoted for being really good at their job and now becoming a manager with no experience of or training of being a manager and then being asked to manage people with no knowledge of how to do that. Do that in the States as well. That's one of the biggest challenges, I think, in the UK areas is that not giving our people managers proper skills when they move into that first role. Just expect them to know how to do it. Yeah. What I love about that mentoring example about this, the, um, the HR CFO mentoring is also that's going to give the CFO a greater appreciation of the people stuff as well so you it's a two-way street it's good it's good yeah absolutely right they, they see that you're trying and that you're trying to learn it right and they become that it, it's kind of like that old thing where they say you know when you travel to paris at least try to speak french for a little bit and they'll say okay you're terrible at this but at least you try yeah they re- respond to you in english is my personal experience absolutely now that's that's great feedback and actually i'd love to pick up with you separately to hear more about the challenges that you the themes that are coming through for your people and compare notes on that um, in terms of keeping moving for this, though, and maybe you can feed some of them in here. One of the questions, our next question is advice to your younger self. But you can answer that to yourself, but also maybe to HR people or, or you know, other people, professionals who are just starting out over and above being pe- business focused. Any other tips? Uh, my advice to my younger self and you know, similar advice to the early career HR professionals is uh, I already said be really curious Uh, find out what's going on out there, what things you might like to do and try a lot of stuff. Uh, I don't think I tried enough things. I don't think I pursued enough things because I was afraid of maybe failure or judgment. Uh, And I think if I, you know, if I could go back and give myself advice, it would be to try a lot of those things and and network early and often uh, so much. So because your early career, you don't know where you want to go. You don't know if you want to stick with HR and maybe one day be a chief HR officer or uh, you know, maybe be more of a business partner or maybe you want to move to finance or marketing one day or go back to law school or whatever, you know, pursue all of these things, find out as much as you can and network and talk to people and ask for advice because people want to help. Um, they, and, and human connection is so powerful. And I think a lot of people are disregarding that. I think they're ignoring it or they're, they're forgetting about the importance of it. And those people are going to be left behind because in the future, uh, I mean, if you think back to, I, I talk to people all the time and I think back to my own career, and it's something like over 80% of jobs are found through, through network, through personal yeah. connections, right? I mean, it's easier than ever to apply for things online, right? And LinkedIn, you can find stuff, but you're going to get through the door a lot quicker, whether it's an internal role change or an external job, uh, if you have that network. So it's, it's be really curious, find out a lot of things and network like crazy, talk to a lot of people. Don't ask them for things, you know, just ask for advice and try to help others. And I think it's going to pay off. Yeah, make it two way and authentic. It's interesting you say that. So um, I I had my arm twisted and the podcast that's just gone out this week here was one where my team interviewed me. And that was my advice to my younger self is I wish I'd networked more when I was an internal. Once I went independent, you're much more you haven't got that internal pool of people to draw on. But I think back, although admittedly, social media wasn't quite so accessible then that I think when if you are listening to this and you're an internal HR person, definitely build that network. Well, because actually, you know, a because you're going to learn from it, but b in future you might be independent and you need to have that pool of people who are contacts that are over and above the ones that you've worked with. Somebody, and you're trying to push big projects through and get things done, and you need influence, right, from other functions, other departments, other groups, uh, and having that network, being able to pick up the phone and call you know, Sally in finance and say, I really yeah. need some help getting budget for this. 
and she knows you and trusts you, it's a lot easier than talking to somebody you've never talked to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of your thoughts for 2020, I know that you've got um, an exciting conference coming up, which you rescheduled because of the fires and you touched on earlier and you've got Josh Burstyn talking, which is quite impressive. Do you want to tell us anything else about your plans for 2020? Yeah. So uh, it's interesting because the, the, conference you mentioned the talent development think tank was originally scheduled for early november 2019 and because of it's in sonoma california because of the wildfires there uh, for anybody that saw those on the news uh, we were forced to postpone uh, our hotel was evacuated and we had to make the call to you know reach out to all of our speakers and over 100 you know people coming about a week before and say hey we're postponing this conference we felt terrible but you know we had to do it miraculously we were able to uh, reschedule the the conference uh, with the hotel, four keynote speakers, 20 breakout speakers. And, and as you mentioned, the keynote speakers, we've got some big name speakers like Josh Burson. Uh, he was huge in the HR space. I think he has yeah. 800,000 followers on LinkedIn. Um, he's giving our opening keynote. We've got Liz Weissman who wrote the book uh, Multipliers, which is a bestseller and just a sensation in the leadership development world. Uh, Julie Winkle Giulioni, who wrote a book called Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go, which is all about early career development, a really important topic. Like and uh, finally, we've got Michael Bungay-Stanier, who is an Aussie who spent some time in the UK and then Canada, and now he's in the U. Oh, no, he's in, he's in Canada still, um, who wrote a great book called The Coaching Habit, and he's really well-known in the coaching space uh, and just for giving fantastic uh, presentations. Really excited about that. That's starting out 2020. Um, for the rest of the year, uh, I'm excited about building my business in talent development, working with more clients to connect them with awesome programs. Uh, and I'm also uh, just back yesterday from working with a friend to plan a conference in September 2020 for entrepreneurs um, because I'm very passionate about that space and want to help other entrepreneurs you know, build their personal brand, build their business. Uh, and that is going to be diff different than anything else out there. Um, but that's, you know, a little bit different from the HR talent development space. And then I'm also thinking about a book, uh, next year for, uh, kind of the career development space, all about taking ownership of your career. I've been giving talks on that recently. And, uh, so I've got a lot of exciting things on my mind going on and, uh, we'll see what, what comes in 2020. Watch this space, a busy chap. So final question then, Andy, for you, if you had an HR superpower, for yourself or for others, what would you choose? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think I, I, I uh, wasted this one already because I, I was thinking about this question earlier and I was thinking that I think the HR superpower people really need is, un hang on just a second. You know, I don't even know if I want to pause or edit it. What we just had to pause for there was for Andy to kiss his daughter, son as he's just gone off to school. And I think that's the epitome of work-life balance. And this is going out at the festive season and it's about family as much as anything else. So hats off to you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, I am uh, very passionate about being a father and I've got two kids I love very much. And uh, I work from home. I'm very lucky uh, that I get to take them to school every morning. Um, today being an exception because I'm <laughs> doing this that. interview with you. No, it's <laughs> totally fine. But you know, the fact that I still get to spend time with them, we read a book this morning and to, you know, give her a hug and a kiss before she goes to school. It's uh, it means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Um, so going back to the superpower, one of them is I think for HR people, superpower that is really useful is understanding the business as I mentioned earlier. I think another one that uh, is really useful in HR is being consultative and uh, you know, being, willing and able to ask questions when requests come your way. Uh, as I mentioned, I've been running my podcast for over a year and a half now, the Talent Development Hot Seat, and I ask many of my guests what their biggest mistake uh, or failure was in their career. And I think by and large, the most common uh, failure or mistake that I've heard 
is people early in their career in HR talent development, getting requests from someone in the business and then just acting on it. You know, someone comes and says, we need training on negotiations or uh, we need HR uh, to put this program in place or we need this software for whatever it is and then just doing it without really taking asking it face questions. value yeah taking yeah. it face value and just reacting and doing it and what most of them found was if I asked more questions if I got more consultative tried to understand what the true need was uh, what I found out was that it, it wasn't what I thought it was it, training wasn't the answer or this thing they requested wasn't the answer it was something else they needed so I think the superpower that would be helpful for a lot of HR people besides understanding the business is being consultative and being willing to push back and ask questions and, and truly understand what's going on. Definitely diagnose before you prescribe. That's fantastic, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the HR Uprising. I wish you huge amount of success with your conference and your podcast. And as I said at the start, we'll put all of your links in the show notes if anyone wants to pick up on your podcast and the other things that you're involved with. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much. This is beautiful. And I will just share one link for anybody listening that wants to come to the conference, Talent Development, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. Uh, you can find all the info and tickets there. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Andy. So that concludes our HR Uprising 12 in 12 People Professionals of Christmas. I have loved doing every single conversation and I'm so grateful to everyone who's taken part if you'd like to know more about anyone that we've featured on the 12 in 12 series, why don't you go to hruprising.com where we've put their contact details so you can follow up, maybe link in with them, uh, get involved. I'm sure they'd welcome it. Also, if you'd like to know what's coming next, well, this is obviously our final episode of 2019, but it is the new year. So we felt that our first episode of the new year should be the best bits of 2019. So in true pot pickers style, we'll be doing a bit of a countdown and we'll be going and doing our top 10 best bits of the HR uprising. So there'll be some clips uh, and some interactions with, uh, with some of the people we've listened to last year. So thank you to everyone who has listened to the HR uprising. You've helped us to get to, well, we're looking at 15,000 downloads now, so I'm growing rapidly. So please do tell your colleagues if you think they'd get value out of it. Feel free to reach out to me, suggest any topics that we should cover because I'd really, uh, it's always helpful to know what you find of value and would like. We will continue with our specialist topic series. We'll also be doing some masterclasses. So I've got a masterclass on culture change coming soon. And I'll be doing conversations with CEOs. Uh, the reason I thought that would be a good angle to look at is to try and understand how we can demonstrate business value to people within a business. Often, as we know, we're, we're seen as not being business focused enough. So I thought, well, actually, let's understand what CEOs or CFOs see as important. So we'll be doing some conversations with, with other um, people within businesses, finding out what they expect or value about HR. So that's all coming in 2020. Do hope you're going to join us then. And if you're enjoying what we're doing, I'd really be grateful for you feeling free to give us a rating um, on the, your iTunes or whichever way you like to listen to things. That's all for now. I wish you a happy new year and look forward to being in touch in 2020. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.